is it okay for occupational therapy practitioners to talk about money? I mean, after all, we didn't go into this career for the money, right? So is it really necessary for us to have these conversations? These are the questions that inspire today's episode, which I'll tell you more about in a second. But first, I want to make it perfectly clear where I personally stand on this topic or this subject. So my answer is yes, absolutely a thousand percent. It is okay to talk about money. Well, okay, let me rephrase just a little bit. It's okay for healthcare professionals, occupational therapy practitioners to talk about money. You know the motto over here, or maybe I don't even know if I've shared this, but my motto personally is that there is nothing wrong with enjoying what you do, loving your profession, helping people, and wanting to be paid well to do it. The reason I talk about money so much now is because for, you know, much of my adult life up until this point, I didn't talk about it and I made a lot of mistakes because I didn't talk about it. So yes, you know, I've started talking about money, but if you listen closely, I'm really not talking about money itself, but I'm talking about money as a tool, using money as a tool to create the life that you love, that you deserve, to have the freedom to pursue the things that light you up, to go after your passions, to provide for our families, to break generational curses and build generational wealth, to leave a legacy. I finally have the confidence to speak on something that, if I'm being honest, intimidated me for so long. So in today's episode, we have a very special guest. It is actually our very first guest episode ever. So I'm excited. I'm super excited about it. And I cannot wait for you to hear from my dear friend, my early intervention bestie, and of course, the amazing podcast guru, Sarah Putt, better known online as OT for Life. That's life with a Y. And we're chatting all about why occupational therapists need to be having these conversations and discussions about money. Our mission for this episode is really together to normalize these conversations within the healthcare community, specifically as OTs, where we don't really have these discussions nearly enough. And I know it may feel a little uncomfortable because money is highly emotional, which is something Sarah and I chat more about too in this episode. But I really encourage you to keep an open mind and just be receptive to the conversation because when we talk about money together, we're able to learn, we're able to grow, and ultimately we're able to do better. They say money makes the world go round, but when it comes to navigating the financial side of adulting, they kind of left us hanging. If you've ever caught yourself saying, why the heck didn't we learn any of this in school, then friend, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Miracle Money Podcast, a space dedicated to having the real, open, and honest conversations about money and finance that we never had in school, but we should have. I'm your host, Amira Kondali. I'm a pediatric occupational therapist turned personal finance enthusiast, and I'm here to help you manage your money with less stress, more joy, and a whole lot of confidence. Let's jump in. All right, I gotta say, I am kind of having a very full circle moment, and I feel like I can't even jump into the rest of this episode without acknowledging it because it'll be the only thing that I'm thinking about (laughs) because it's pretty cool. So the first podcast episode I ever recorded was on OT for Life, hosted by the amazing, incredible Sarah Putt, who you'll be hearing from very shortly. But I remember being so nervous recording that episode because i never done it before. I didn't know what to expect. And I just remember I so badly wanted to do a good job. I mean, this was someone who I 
admired, I was inspired by, I looked up to, and I just wanted everything to go well. And now here we are. I'm not going to get emotional. I do sometimes (laughs) get emotional, but I'm not going to. (laughs) So here we are, and I am the host of my very own podcast show, which I never in a million years thought I would be doing. And my first guest on the show is Sarah Putt from OT for Life. Sarah, I am so excited. I I know you see me smiling like ear to ear because I'm so excited to have you on today. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic, Amira. I you said you weren't going to get emotional. Like here I am. Like hold on, hold on. Like I, I got chills over here. This is <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about that. She's excited to come on the show, and that you had to go and do that and bring these emotions out. But yeah, I—I I mean, I remember recording with you, and that episode is still one of my favorite episodes that we've ever recorded. And it's really cool to be here, full circle. And I know the minute that you said that you were going to start a podcast, I was like, "Yep, like one hundred percent. I'm backing you, and I'm here, and I'm here to support you." So to be able to be your first guest, I'm like, oh, it's such an honor. I agree, and I love that. The first episode that we recorded together was all about working in early intervention as a new grad. And I'll make sure to link that in the show notes because I may be biased, but it was a a pretty good episode. (laughs) So I'm definitely going to link that in the show notes. But I also think one of the cool things, too, is that when we recorded that episode, what was it, maybe like two, three years ago now or so? And we weren't moms. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And now we are. Like now we both have... kids, which is just, you have two, I have one. And and I think that talking about this topic today, all about money and why as healthcare professionals, we should have these conversations about money is it's going to be interesting, our lens, because I think now that we're both moms, maybe our viewpoints, even about money and finance and our own relationship with personal finance is going to be different. I, I just think that that perspective changes so greatly. I mean, everything changes, honestly, when you become a mom. So it'll be really cool to hear, too, how we approach this conversation now as mamas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. Oh, I, I feel like so much has changed since becoming a parent, becoming a mom, and especially having two little ones, working in early intervention, being a business owner. And of course, money just ties into all of those roles and everything that we do on a daily basis. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I am excited to talk about this because, you know, this is, this is along with OT, along with early intervention, along with podcasting. I love talking about money and finance and all that good stuff. So yay. <laughs> yes. And it's one of the things we connected on. So let's start with, I want to start with a little icebreaker question. <laughs> so my question for you is, what are the first three words, or you can do emotions, words or emotions that come to mind when you think of money or when you hear the word money? You know, it's really interesting because you gave me this question and I had my answers and now I'm like, I don't even remember what those answers are were. But I think honestly, the first thing that comes to mind is that money is a tool. I'll, I'll keep it short. And then if we want to go into more detail, we definitely can. I think money can support the passions that you want to do. So maybe passion is another one. And how about opportunity? Oh, those are good. Okay. So we've got tool, passion, and opportunity. And those all very much intertwine with each other. And I think, again, talking about why we as healthcare professionals or occupational therapy practitioners, 
why we should have this conversation is if we think about just those three words, the tools, the passion, the opportunity, isn't that exactly kind of like what we're facilitating with our patients and our clients? And that's exactly what we should be trying to kind of, I don't want to say facilitate in our own lives, but something that should be the focus in our own lives too. So I love those three words. Those are good. I I totally agree with what you said there. And I think if, if you didn't even ask me, but if if I had to throw out one more word, I would want to put like, I don't know, taboo or something like that. I, I gave you some really positive words to start with, mm-hmm. but I also know that there are some, I don't know, tension or some just some things that we need to talk about when it comes to being a healthcare practitioner, an occupational therapy practitioner, and money too. So I'm going to throw out my fourth word, even though you didn't even ask me for that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Taboo. Taboo, uncomfortable. I mean, I think all of that rings true and anyone listening to this will agree that having these conversations is a little bit uncomfortable. I'd be lying right now, Sarah, if I said I wasn't slightly sweating just a little bit because I'm talking to someone else about money. It's very different when you're podcasting and you're kind of like just talking to yourself in your closet. But now having that conversation with someone, it does make you feel like a little bit uncomfortable just because it's something that I think (laughs) we talk about personal finance is personal. And so you're kind of like getting all up into somebody's business here when you're asking them about their relationship with money or, you know, how their childhood impacted how they approach their finances now. And so it can be uncomfortable, but I think it's important to have these conversations because like you said, it's it's such a big part of our lives. And I'm thinking actually about something that you said on your OTpreneur podcast, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point, but you said we need (laughs) money to live our lives. We need money to run our businesses. And I jotted that down and I was like, that's so true because it is like money. You know, they say money makes the world go round. It doesn't necessarily, but (laughs) it is a big part of, you know, who we are in our lives. So even as OTPs, I mean, we're OTs, but we're also moms and dads and, you know, spouses and brothers and sisters. And so it, it's a big part of our life. So um, I love that. I love that you've acknowledged that it can be taboo. It can be uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't have those conversations. And that's what we're going to spend some time talking about. And that's one of the big things you and I have connected on so many times, every time, every time that money comes up and, and occupational therapy, <laughs> you and me, and we're talking about why why we need to talk about this more so here we go we're gonna talk about it (laughs) but before we jump nosedive into it because i feel like we've kind of already nosedived but that's okay let's back up a little bit (laughs) i know you sarah i guess that's why i'm talking to you like this because i've known you now for a couple of years but to those who are listening who are not familiar with you let's talk a little bit just about your background where are you from what made you decide to pursue occupational therapy what's your favorite practice area let's learn a little bit more about you oh man there's so much that i could share here but Let's see. So I am originally from California, though now I live in Colorado. And I discovered occupational therapy because I was actually a behavior therapist before. And I happened to be working at a preschool and all of the staff at the preschool was like, well, what are you going to do? What, what What's your next step? Right. I had just graduated uh, from undergrad and totally representing go Pepperdine. Woo. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Side note. But um, but yeah, so I had just graduated and everyone's like, what 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 are you going to do with yourself here? And I was like, I don't know. Like, do, do, am, am I supposed to know at this point? And 
one day, one of the aides in the classroom that I was working in was like, you know, you'd make a really good OT. And honestly, at that point, like, those were just letters. I had no (laughs) (laughs) idea what OT was. I had no idea. And so fortunately, one of the kids that I was working with was receiving OT services. And so I got to go with him. And I I love this story because I still remember it. And this was, okay, so I've been practicing for 14 years, this, and then I had, you know, two-ish, three years of school plus prereqs. I mean, so we are talking 16-ish years ago when when this whole story un, un, unveiled. And I went to the sensory gym that was at the preschool. And I remember opening up the doors to this gym and seeing Francesca, who was the occupational therapist there, and seeing all of the materials, all of the toys, everything there. And I was just like, wait, there is a profession that gets to A, work with kids, which I knew that's what I wanted to do, and B, get to like use all these fun, I mean, I call them toys. Now I know exactly like what the purpose is for them. And I like from that minute, I'm like, I need to go figure out what this whole OT thing is. So went home, did my research, like literally started applying to schools and and signed up for prereqs and all of that. And just a few months after that, I literally like got accepted and started a program and I have not looked back since. I definitely was one of those people that kind of fell into the profession and I really didn't even know much about it before I accepted like going to school and started the program. And I can honestly say it was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me because as you know, I'm super passionate about occupational therapy and I love what I do. And I honestly love where I'm at right now. Now I have a crazy life (laughs) with two (laughs) little kids at home and all of that, but everything, everything that has kind of led me to this point. I'm, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm happy with, and I feel like I've learned so much over the journey, the process. And yeah, I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of other stuff. (laughs) No, that was amazing. I love, okay. Two things I love that you said. Actually, you didn't say this. This is just what I observe is that you were just lighting up, even talking about how you found the profession. And I think that's such a beautiful thing because, like you said, it was what, 14, 16 years ago. And still you have this big smile on your face when you're talking about it. And I never want people to lose sight of why they chose OT because I think when, you know, you have people in a lot of debt or you're not making the income that you want to make or you want to pursue entrepreneurship, but you have no idea where to start, you can really get bogged down and start to feel like, did I make the right choice? Or, you know, is there something else that I should have explored? And I think going back to that why is so important. What made you pursue this profession? And you can really turn it into whatever you want it to look like, which is something, Sarah, that I know you've done yourself because, again, I've been binge listening to the OTpreneur podcast. So tell me a little bit too about what practicing as an OT now looks like for you. Yeah. So my my passion, my favorite practice area, and Amira, you and I, we we go way back on this one, but early intervention, that that's my jam. I love working with the little ones, you know, typically birth to three, but I even like like if I had to break it down even more, like birth to like 18 months, maybe like under two or something like that. Like I love, love those little ones. And it's just, like you said, it's just something that lights me up as a practitioner. And so, oh gosh, it's been about eight, nine, 
something eight or nine years now, I actually started my own practice and solely focusing on early intervention. And just like becoming an OT, starting my own private practice was one of the hardest things that I've done. But it's also been one of the best things that I've ever done. And it has really allowed me so many different opportunities that I probably wouldn't have had if I didn't pursue this. And I think it's also just, it has added to my life in so many different ways that I get to truly practice the way that I want to practice. And I get to help those that also want to work and support those that also want to work in early intervention and and help them like learn this practice area and become the best practitioner or or student because I work with a lot of students as well that they possibly can be and i think it's one of those areas that is so um maybe misunderstood a lot of people don't have experience in it it's not one that's really talked about all that much in schools and it's one that i'm so passionate about and that I love, you know, sharing what I do and just highlighting the importance of working in this area. So yeah, being able to kind of run my own private practice in that and also support other people that want to start their own private practice in early intervention. But then I've also had this unique opportunity. I'm going back to one of my words here that we talked mm-hmm. about in the beginning. I had this opportunity to partner up with my good friend, Jason Davies from the OT Schoolhouse podcast. And we have come together and started OTpreneur, which is really a platform. We have a podcast and uh, we have a website and we're working on building out a course right now to support OT practitioners and students that want to start their own OT business. So it's something that I'm super passionate about and I think can really make a difference in people's lives. And again, this doesn't this doesn't have to be your full-time gig if it doesn't if it, you don't want it to be. And it can be, right? It's it, having my business that is my full-time gig, but it, you can also have this on the side or, you know, do do some things and and have some fun with what your role as an OT practitioner looks like. So, um yeah, it's a new endeavor. We've been we've been working on it for a few months now. Maybe actually we might have actually hit a year, but we just launched every uh, everything. And so, yeah, I'm just I'm excited to be able to I don't know, hopefully spark some interest in people that might not think that they were that they could be an OT entrepreneur and hopefully maybe they they will think about it. You know, and this goes back to, I completely forgot. I said I was going to point out two things earlier. (laughs) The second (laughs) thing I wanted to point out is when you said to you, OT was just letters and you didn't know what that meant. And also how sometimes EI can be misunderstood if you're not practicing in it. And I think that's so true with OT because it looks very different. You can meet two different OTs and yeah, they're both, you know, an OTP, but they are doing completely different things. And I think it's so cool that we have all of these different opportunities, but going back to not understanding or not knowing what OT is, there's a lot that we don't know about OT. And I'm in the same boat as you in that I didn't know what the heck OT was when I decided to pursue it. I had a kind of vague understanding, but I've definitely learned way more once I was in school and once I was practicing. And I thought I wanted to work with kids and I was like, oh, you play with kids. Like that looks really fun. And there's no chemistry. And that was my biggest thing. I wanted to do something that had zero chemistry because I didn't like chemistry. So 
I I really want to go back to what we don't know about OT. And yes, we don't know what it looks like, but I think there's some things related to the financial side of OT that we don't know. So for example, we don't really know how much income we can actually expect to make because the range is so massive or we don't really know how much debt we're going to get into because not a lot of people talk about the debt or there's no you know databases that tell you how much debt OTs are in. And so I'm curious, Sarah, what did you know before pursuing OT as far as the financial piece of it? Did you know what income to expect? Did you know, you know, the average debt? See so you shaking your head. No, I'm <laughs> laughing. I'm <laughs> laughing because I was at that point in my life, I was very financially illiterate. I was like, I know I have to go to college and I know I have to get a job and I know I have to make money. And that's about it. Like I'm if there's anything that if if anybody's listening and they know me, like I'm very real and honest about <laughs> me and and my experience and what I've gone through. And I laugh because now I have so much more knowledge that I'm like, wow, I really should have been more aware at that point and I should have been a little bit more on top of it. But I think I just was like, yeah, this is just what you do, right? You just you get funneled down this path. And at some point I will graduate and I will make money and I will have a job. And that that was it. It was a very kind of narrow-minded approach to it. And so now <laughs> I feel like I have a way different understanding and I have a way different perspective on it. And it's one of the reasons that I, I love kind of following you and and following some other kind of financial accounts is because it's so important. <laughs> and if I would have known some of this information earlier on, I know that I could be in a way different place than I am now. But again, I can't go backwards. You know, the the saying is like the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, but the second best is today. So it's kind of for anybody that is listening, like to, regardless of where you are in your journey, you can, as of today, you can make changes and you can modify, you can alter you don't know what you don't know until you actually know it. And so it it's taken me a while to get to the the point of being like, oh, I really actually need to pay attention and, and be better with my money. But as a as as a student, as a new grad, nope. I was I was horrific. Like that's probably the best word. I was horrific with money. <laughs> I'm laughing scary. because same. <laughs> if only I know knew <laughs> Then what I know now, isn't that the saying? And like, I just wish that I could have went back to like 21-year-old Amira and just shook her and been like, why are you buying the same pair of shoes in five colors? <laughs> you know, it's just like one of those things where you, yep. like you say, you don't know what you don't know. So I'm curious, let me interject here and say, Sarah, for the listener who is maybe pre-OT or OT student and they are like, wow, I relate to them so much. I don't know what I'm doing with my finances. What is like your best maybe two pieces of financial literacy, like advice or tips or, or something that you would, you know, encourage someone who, I guess, who identifies to how we used to be, what would you tell them now? I think the biggest thing, and, and this is exactly kind of what like honed it in for me. So like, I'm telling you what worked for me might not work for you, but what worked for me was actually like sitting down and looking at my numbers, looking at how much money was coming in each month. Right. And if, if you're a student, you might not have much income, if any. And then also where my money was going. That was huge because there are all these little kind of hidden, hidden 
money sucks, I guess might be the best way to put it, that $5 here, $10 here might not seem like a lot at the time, but it all adds up over months, over years. And so really, first and foremost, and this is so uncomfortable, trust me, I think I think Amira, I think you've gone through <laughs> crying and having some emotions. And I know for me, it was like a slap to the face where I was like, okay, so be ready that it will be, it could be uncomfortable and emotional, but sit down and look at your numbers and understand how much is coming in and where it's going and really get that baseline of where you are. And then from there, that's where you can modify. That's where you can make changes. Where you see that, for instance, one of my big things was memberships. I had memberships to so many things way back in the day. Massage memberships, athletic clothes, uh, you name it. I had memberships to it. And when I really sat down and like thought about the emotion, good or bad, that came with that, I was like, you know, I could probably do without some of this, right? Like if I want to go get a massage, I'll just go pay for it. I don't need to be paying for a monthly massage that I actually wasn't even using. I probably had like 10 stored up at that point. And so knowing where you are and having that baseline and then being able to identify areas that you might be able to chop out, areas that you're like, nope, this is what I want to spend money on. This is really what, these are my sacred cows. Like this is what is important to me. But maybe and you know the the lattes always get a get, get a bad rap but like maybe every day i don't need to go to starbucks and and get a latte maybe i can make my coffee at home maybe that's not as important or maybe you're that person that's like i love my lattes but i'll cut back on my massages or whatever it is right like identifying what is important and what is not important and then being able to kind of tailor that to your plan and that's a lot you you asked me for like one little thing i'm like here <laughs> change it i knew it was here. a can of worms when i asked you <laughs> Because I'm the same way. But I think what you're highlighting is the importance of forming those habits as a student and the habits that will you can then build upon. The the issue, especially that I had, I know when I was in new grad is I didn't have any type of foundation, right? Like we don't talk about money in in OT school. We don't talk about personal finance in undergrad. Like you don't have that foundation. And so when I graduated and I was a new grad, I had to really spend a lot of time forming those habits and learning how to track my expenses and figuring out what subscriptions I had that I really didn't need anymore. So I love that you're giving that really practical, solid advice to those listening that right now is the time to establish those habits. Even if you don't have income, you can still get in the habit of reviewing how much you're spending per month. And then once you graduate, you know, and you get a job and you're making money, you'll already be, you know, what do they call it? Working, flexing that muscle, working that muscle. I don't know the saying, but you know, like you'll already be in that habit and that routine of doing that. So I think that, I think that's really, really good advice. So if you're listening, I hope you wrote that one down because I a thousand percent agree with tracking your spending, knowing your numbers and, you know, just really setting yourself up to have healthy foundational habits. And again, that kind of leads me to my next point in that we don't talk about this in school. I wish that we did. And I wish that we had more of personal finance education embedded in our curriculum. So Sarah, I'm curious, do you remember, did you ever talk anything about finances at all during school, whether that was OT school, undergrad, any conversation do you remember having? So the short answer is no. But honestly, like, again, I'm kind of like laughing over here because I'm like, I bet even if I did, I probably wouldn't have paid attention to it. Cause like at that point I was just like, whatever, like 
I I had this idea that like the money was just going to work itself out. And that's so, (laughs) that's so, um, (laughs) I don't even know the right word. That's so limiting. I I shouldn't have had that, but I was like, oh, it's just going to be fine. Like, I'm just going to trust the universe, which I don't know. And so even if it was brought up, I probably would have just been like, this is silly. We don't need this. Like, let's talk about clinical application of practice or something like that. So I don't remember it. And I'd like to say it probably didn't happen, but if it did, I probably wasn't even in a space to hear it. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> I, wish I could go back. <laughs> I was laughing when you said like, oh, the universe and me, you know, I'm a believer. So I'm like, oh, God will supply all my needs. <laughs> but he also teaches us to be very wise with our money. But I ignore that part of the scripture between you and me. But anyway, so I totally agree. That, I agree that like having more of those conversations in school, I think is necessary, but you also have to be like open and in that mind frame because a lot of times, and this is something even Mazi, my husband will say like, you know, Amir, you always say, I wish I could have gone back and talked to my, you know, my younger self. And, but he always is like, but do you think you would have listened to yourself? And I'm like, Honestly, probably not. And I feel really bad saying that, but I know how I was back then. It was very much just that like, la-di-da, like everything's going to work itself out. And so I think again, that's why... I think, again, that's why having OTPs and healthcare professionals talk about this stuff is just so crucial because, you know, if I would have heard someone like me talking about it, maybe my response would have been different, but I didn't. I didn't hear that. And so I think, you know, having financial education, even in our graduate programs would be a good idea. And having, you know, maybe people who graduated, they come in and they they speak to students and say like, okay, here's how I negotiated my first job offer, or here's how I'm going to pay off my student loan debt. Or here's how I'm, you know, budgeting in early intervention where the, the income varies, you know, from month to month. So I think, I guess that's, in my opinion, you know, some of the things that I think I would love to see in our graduate program. So I'm curious from you, what do you think some type of financial education would be really beneficial for students to have? I mean, first and foremost, like this goes back to what I just said, my, you know, my, my, my tip or my advice. I think the basics of financial literacy and and just kind of financial understanding is one half of the equation, right? Of just understanding your own money and your own situation and your debt, your assets and all of that, right? Everyone's going to look completely different. But then in kind of that second half of it, it's really understanding the financial implications of becoming an occupational therapy practitioner and then what that entails. What does the job market look like? How much can you make per setting? How can you increase your income or supplement your income? If you have a full-time job, what else can you be doing? What what are different ways that you can basically make money work for you? And unfortunately, I feel like a lot of a lot of times I see this over and over and over again. We go into kind of the Facebook groups or anything like that. I am seeing people rant about the lack of the the lack of salary the lack of being paid what we're worth as occupational therapy practitioners and i'm very much pro we need to advocate and we need to be paid what we're worth but i'm also a big advocate that you can go and advocate for yourself and do other things to make more money as an occupational therapy practitioner and so 
you know, it's an interesting kind of like dichotomy of of both of those of like, how do you how do you kind of bridge that gap and seeing all the negativity and seeing people leaving the profession and seeing people potentially not even becoming an occupational therapy practitioner because they're like, oh, I'm going to go into a lot of debt and I'm not going to make a lot of money uh, once I graduate. And that's really disheartening because I feel like if you can be creative, if you can be flexible, and if you can seek out ways that are A, going to light you up as a practitioner, but B, also fill up that pocketbook, you can make it work, right? And I just, I, I hate the negativity that that is surrounding this. And I understand there's a lot, there's a lot that needs to be changed. And there's, there are, you know, salary cuts and price cuts and all this kind of stuff that are happening that are impacting the profession as a global kind of global scale. Uh, but it's, it's one of those things that I think that there are a lot of ways that you can make money as an occupational therapy practitioner. And it's just figuring out what works for you. I'm pretty sure that we are reading the exact same Facebook posts because they are Probably. terrifying. I mean, I have to like make an effort not to even read the replies sometimes because I'm like, okay, this is super negative. Like I'm offer, I'm offer transparency and keeping it real. You know me. Like I'll, I'll straight up ask somebody like, do you regret becoming an OT because of the money? And I genuinely want to hear the answer. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with like having that discussion. And I think we should be having these discussions where we're talking about ways that you can, like I said, either negotiate your job offer or ways that you can potentially just earn more over the lifespan of your career because there are ways out there. I think that part's just not talked about enough because it's so much easier to dwell on the negative and to dwell on the fact that we're facing pay stagnation and we're not satisfied with our pay and we're in debt up to our eyeballs. Like it's so much easier to have those conversations. And when I set out, you know, to create this podcast, I knew that that would come up, but I didn't want that to be the focus. And I don't want, you know, that to overshadow how much good and how much endless opportunities are out there for you as an OT. But the conversations around money can be very negative in this profession. And I I would love to see that change. And I guess I'm just doing my small part <laughs> to, you know, facilitate that change. But I'm curious though, you know, we've talked about how we should be having these conversations and how most of the conversations are kind of negative. But why do you think as healthcare professionals, as OTPs in particular, why are we so uncomfortable being upfront and honest and transparent and having these conversations about money. Why is that? Why is that so hard for us? What do you think? Uh, I love this question because again, it it's something that I think it's so important and I know you agree it's so important that we talk about money and we have these conversations about it. But still to this day I'll meet people and they're like, "Wait, wait, wait, you like you want to talk about money?" Or like, for instance, I'll have a student come through and I'm like, "Hey, let's look at this author authorization. I'm going to show you exactly what we are getting paid per session, per evaluation, like I lay out the numbers and they're like, I've I never love that. Seen, you know, you could tell <laughs> that there's like this discomfort because they're like, I've never seen this before. And I'm like, what what questions you got? Like, let, let's talk about this. And I think it's just, I think there's a lot of kind of cultural and societal views of like, we just don't talk about money. It's hush hush. Like we just keep it to ourselves. I think there are some kind of, and I'm just going to overgeneralize here, but I think there are some companies that instill that in their employees. And this is not just OT. This is, you know, this, this is throughout the world that they're like, oh, well, 
I don't want people to know what everyone else is making because then so-and-so might ask for more money. So they like kind of put, put the put the kibosh on people talking about money within their organization, which again, I think that's just nonsense right there. And I just, I think that there's a lot of emotions because, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking from my own experience too, that I wasn't the best with money. And so if I'm hearing somebody that's really quote unquote, really good with money and I look at myself and I'm like, oh gosh, like I'm, I feel like I'm a failure. I'm just not as good with money. And that can bring up some really uncomfortable things. The other thing, this is, I mean, this is (laughs) such a loaded question here, but like, there's a lot that ties into money, right? And there's a lot of, say, generational wealth or potentially the opposite of that that can tie into mm-hmm. how we operate with our money and how we think about money, depending on how our parents thought about money, how their parents thought about money, how we were raised. And so there's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of emotions that can really get tapped into when we start talking about money. And that's kind of from that like personal aspect. But then I think there's this whole other level of people. And this is again, overgeneralization, but society kind of thinks that people that go into healthcare should be there to serve, should be there to help people. And that is their main draw. And that they shouldn't necessarily make money. This is, this is not me. This is not how I feel, right? This is just how this is, this is like, the things that I've gathered uh, over the years. And so I think there's then this other kind of like play on that we as healthcare providers shouldn't be making a lot of money because it's our role to serve other people. And I just think that is that is just complete bogus right there. Because if we can't even support our own needs, how are we supposed to go out and then support other people? And it's weird because people know that like doctors make a lot of money. But yet everybody else else in the healthcare profession is like, no, you're not supposed to make a lot of money. And so I'm really hoping to kind of flip that script and realize that have healthcare practitioners and OT practitioners realize that making money is better for everybody in the long run, not just yourself, but also for potentially the company that you work for, the people that you're supporting, anything like that. And so if you're, if you're strapped for money or, you know, you, you're living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck or anything like that, it's not only hurting you, but it's also kind of limiting your opportunities, limiting what you can actually do. But by making money, and I'm not saying you have to be making, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars, but making enough, whatever that enough is for you, really can kind of have this exponential reach beyond just you, the people that you work with, society as a whole. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was so good. I'm trying to, like, get my thoughts together because there were so many times I just wanted to, like, clap my hands really hard. but. Audio-wise, that's not a good idea. But the second point in particular, okay, so I agree. Money is very emotional, right? So I think in general, whatever background, whatever career you're in, talking about money is uncomfortable because it is emotions. And it, it causes you to really do a lot of internal reflection. And I know even myself, like I've been in therapy now for a little over a year. And it's so interesting because I'm uncovering the the reasons that I approach certain areas of my life, whether it's motherhood, whether it's being a wife, how I manage my money. A lot of it stems from my upbringing and things that I learned in my childhood. And not to say, you know, I had a terrible childhood or 
anything like that. Mom, I love you if you're listening to this, but there's definitely experiences <laughs> and things that have shaped, you know, how I approach certain things. And so, but imagine if I did have heart parts of my childhood and now I'm having to revisit that and learn, oh, that's why I look at money that way, or that's why I spend the way that I do. And so that internal reflection can be really hard for, I just, so I just want to like hold space for that. And to say like, if you're struggling with talking about money, because it brings up some really hard emotions and feelings, that is so incredibly valid. And I think so many of us have been there. The other thing I will say is in healthcare or in this kind of serving industry that you're in or, you know, that we're in, I agree. It's almost like you're not supposed to like, oh, we didn't go into OT for the money. And that's true, right? That's really true. But I think in other careers, when we look at people in like business or marketing or tech, I don't know, it's like celebrated when you get a big raise or a big promotion and it's not unheard of to ask for more money in your initial, you know, job offer. Like, all of that stuff is so normalized in those other careers. And I just want that same level of normalization in our career as healthcare professionals because of everything you just said. Like, I don't even have to <laughs> and say anything else because I think you said it perfectly. You also mentioned, you know, we don't have to necessarily make millions of dollars. And I agree. I do agree with that. But I think right now our profession is kind of associated with financial hardship. And that's really, really disheartening because like I said, we have a lot of people talking about we're in so much debt and, you know, our incomes aren't, we're not being paid our worth. And I think a lot of people are starting to feel like, oh, don't, you know, don't become an OT because, you know, you're not ever going to be able to be in the place financially that you want to be. And I don't think that's true. So I'm curious, Sarah, do you feel like financial freedom or not even freedom, but just like being financially comfortable. Do you feel like as an OT, that's possible? Completely. 100%. Like I, not even needing to think about that. It is possible. Now, is it easy? No, by any means, it is not easy. It is going to take time. It's going to take effort. It's going to take trial and error. It's going to take a lot of just figuring it out, right? Like, I don't want to say sacrifice because I feel like people hear that and they're like, oh gosh, no, I don't want to give up any of this. And what, you know, it's like, it's not necessarily about the sacrifice, but it is about figuring it out. It's about navigating where you are, where you've come from, where you are right now, and where you want to get to in the future. And I honestly think you can get there. If you want to get there, you can get there. You have to figure out what's going to work for you, what it is that you actually want. Like, let's go way back to the beginning. What is your why? What is the why that you want to be able to do in life? <laughs> That's a big question right there. I don't even know if I can answer that myself. <laughs> but then how is being an OT practitioner and the role as as your profession and as your kind of professional identity how is that going to play a role into getting there, right? Is that is that the end-all be-all? Is there other things that you can do? I know that there are people that invest in, say, real estate or some other things that might be kind of outside of the realm of occupational therapy. What what are the things that, where is it that you want to go? And then what are the things that you can do in order to get to that point? But 100%, if you are willing to put in the effort and take the time to figure it out. You can get there. There are people that 
will be like, well, I, I can't move. I can't change my job. I can't do this. I don't have time to do that. And if you have excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse, you might not be able to. But if you can figure it out, everything's figure outable. If you can figure it out and take that time and invest that time and invest some resources, it actually might take some money to get there. You can. I'm, I'm throwing it out there. You can. You can reach either financial, that level of financial comfortableness <laughs> or financial freedom. And you know what? I'll be the bad guy because I'm going to say it does indeed take sacrifice. It takes some level of sacrifice, but the sacrifice that I make in my life might look different than the sacrifice that you make, that a sacrifice that, you know, an OT student makes. So it's it's a different level of sacrifice, but I think that it is okay mm-hmm. to say you're going to have to maybe sacrifice something. It doesn't have to be something big. It could be something small, but it does take that level in order to get to where you want to be in the future. And I feel like that just kind of goes like across the board, right? Even in motherhood, I feel like I've had to make so many sacrifices right now in this season of my life in order to be able to do the things that I want to do, you know, with my baby. And gosh, that's, I know, a whole other conversation for another day, but I do agree (laughs) that there is some level of sacrifice that is needed if your true desire is to be an OT who is financially free or just financially comfortable, having breathing room, not living paycheck to paycheck. So that's what I mean when I say comfortable. I also think there is a level of creativity that's needed if you want to be able to be financially free or financially comfortable. And I think I've talked about this in a previous episode of mine. I I know I'm only like maybe seven, eight episodes in, but I still forget everything (laughs) that I've already talked about. But I'm pretty sure I've talked about just how as OTs, we are really creative beings in general. I think that's something that draws us to this profession and being able, you said this earlier in the episode, Sarah, to just make it your own. Whatever you want OT to look like, you can absolutely make it your own because OT is like everything that we do. And I think that's you know such a cool part of this profession. And so having that creativity to explore like non-traditional paths or you know things that are outside of the clinic or starting your own business are really some ways, in my opinion, that you can increase your earning potential and be able to make you know the amount of money that you feel like is going to give you that that freedom, you know, that you desire. So what do you think, Sarah? What are some ways in your opinion? that OTs, you know, new grads even can take those steps to increase your earning potential. There are so many different things that people could do. So many. And I think ultimately it boils down to what is it that you want to do? What is your passion and what lights you up? And going then to, okay, how can I turn that into something that might supplement my income might become my full-time gig. But there are, gosh, there's so many different things that you could do. So for me, I went the whole like full-on entrepreneur, started my own private practice in direct client care. And that's that's what I did. And and I knew that A, I was passionate about what I was doing and that B, I was like, I know nothing about business, but I'm going to figure it out. And so, yes, you can do that. You can start your own practice. You can start your own clinic. You can do something in the realm of that kind of more traditional occupational therapy, the direct client, direct client care type things. But in the digital age that we're in now, there's so many other things that you could do in the online space. You could be, say you're a practitioner that works in pediatrics and you want to support parents. There's so many different things that you could do in order to support parents, support moms. Hello, Amira and myself. <laughs> we know we all need the support here. 
every ounce. But <laughs> you could do <laughs> all the time, 24-7. <laughs> but you could design a product. This could be a digital product. This could be a physical product. You could do affiliate affiliate marketing where you actually just talk about representing other other products and and talk about that. You can get into becoming a guest speaker or, you know, presenting at a conference or something like that, writing a book that kind of falls into the products there. Um you could go you could create an online course. You could create a conference, an online conference, or even a summit. You could do an in-person conference too. But I mean, the the world is your oyster. You really could do any number of different things in order to supplement or replace your income. But it really just comes down to what it is, what is it that you want to do, and what is it something that kind of fits within your fits within your personality, fits within you as a person. And yeah, like there's, gosh, I I could go on and on and on, but I'll I'll leave it with kind of those, I don't even know how many I just gave you there, but there's a bunch of different things that you could do and you can pick one thing and if it doesn't work out, try something else or try one thing and maybe you're like, oh, I like that, but I also want to do this. And you can kind of morph and change and add and (laughs) subtract. You can do so many different things. Again, this goes down to that kind of creative piece. And I love that you brought that up, Amira, because I do feel that occupational therapy practitioners are super creative, super creative. And we are, we are special beings. I'm going to throw that out there. Like we are super special beings. And if you, if you have a passion to do something, or if you have, if you have an, an idea of, some somebody that you want to support or a population that you want to support or something that you want to create um you can do it like the, the one that comes to mind is uh there's there's an occupational therapy practitioner who has designed adaptive shoes right and there's so many different things that there's um like gosh there's there's paper right paper to help children with handwriting there is all sorts of different boxes that you know come with all sorts of different materials and anything for older adults for children they're gosh i'm like i could go on and on and on and on about (laughs) what you could do and the different ways you could do i'm gonna cut myself off (laughs) because the opportunities truly are endless and i think you know, like you said, the, well, you said the world is your oyster, but I would say the OT world <laughs> is your oyster. Like there's just so much that you can do. And I think going back to those few words that you gave me in the beginning of the episode, using money as a tool. And like you said, sometimes you do. It takes, you know, the saying, it takes money to make money. And sometimes you have to like invest in yourself and your idea. And so I think just being able to understand that there's so much that you can do with OT and there's so many paths that you can take in order to get to the place, not only you know, financially, but also just personally and professionally and every aspect of your life using money as a tool to get there. So I love that, you know, we're trying to do our part in normalizing these conversations, especially in our profession, because we have such big hearts and we pour and we pour and we pour, but it's really important too for us to learn how to pour into each other and to use money as a tool to be able to do that. So this has been an incredible conversation. I feel like we could honestly talk for another like one, two, three, possibly five hours, honestly, (laughs) and we might even have another episode later on. But before we wrap up, Sarah, I want to ask you some three rapid fire 
miracle money questions. Are you ready for it? I'm ready, but you know me, I like to talk, so I don't know how rapid fire my answers are going to be. It's okay. <laughs> They're pretty simple questions. I'll try. Okay, number okay. one. Here we go. If everything on the planet was free, what would you have an endless supply of? Oh, gosh. <laughs> everything on the planet was free. Oh, see, I'm like, I'm already, I'm already like, stumbling on the first question there are so many different things that pop into my mind honestly i'll, I'll go with the first one and ugh, this yeah we're, we're just gonna go with it just travel i i love to travel mm -hmm. travel mm -hmm. is such a big thing for me and i feel like travel incorporates a lot of different expenses here <laughs> so yeah if just like all travel could just be free Find me up. <laughs> you know, and that's perfect because the second question, and these are like handpicked for you. I have like a whole list of questions, but the second one specifically for you is if you could have an all expenses paid vacation, where would you go? Around the world. <laughs> is that a cop out? <laughs> to, to, every, to every place that I have not been and every place that I want to go back to. <laughs> Okay, first place that pops into your head, go. Ooh, ooh. Okay, I have two. Is that okay? One okay, that I've been to, one I haven't been to. Yes. So, Iceland. I would love to go back to Iceland. Okay. I absolutely love Iceland. Iceland is out of love. And the place that I haven't been yet that I want to go to, too, and this is just, like, super fitting because we got the Women's World Cup, yay, go USA, uh, going on right now, but Australia and New Zealand. Ooh, nice. Okay. Third question. Would you rather <laughs> be given $10,000 today or $100,000 in five years? Gosh, I feel like this, there was this big, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. There was this big thing. There was like this, uh, quote unquote, like financial expert that was mm -hmm. like talking. I, I forget if it was like on Twitter or something. And he was like going off. I think it was he. I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> but he was like going off about like what everybody would say or what he was trying to take, like play devil's advocate. $10,000 today or 100000 in five years. That's what you said. Yep. So... I'm going to go with the 10,000 today because okay. I feel like you, yeah, because I feel like with that, you could do, you could do some investing. You could invest in other things to make you money and you could potentially surpass that $100,000 in five years mark. I'm going to go with that. If you're coming I up. love that that response. And that's the perfect <laughs> place to end because it really highlights the fact that there is opportunity out there. And if you use what you have and use the resources and the things that you have today, who knows what that will turn into in five years. So I love that answer. Perfect ending spot. Thank you so <laughs> much, Sarah, for being on the episode today. This was so much fun. Let me know where can people get in touch with you if they have questions, if they want to learn more about your OTpreneur podcast, let us know. Yeah, 
So there are a couple different ways that you can get in touch with me, but uh, you can find me on OT for Life. You can go to the website, otforlife.com. You can connect with me there. And then if you're interested about OT and entrepreneurship, you can also find me at otpreneur.com. Uh, I have podcasts at both places. Clearly, I like to talk about <laughs> occupational therapy, <laughs> entrepreneurship, all that jazz. But yeah, um, go go to those websites. You'll find me and you can connect with me. And I'd, I'd love to hear from you. And yeah, let me know. If you have questions, comments, concerns, anything that I brought up you want to have a conversation about, let's do it. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day, of your week, or I guess the weekend is around the corner. So hope you have an amazing weekend. And thank you so much again for being on the show today around the corner. So hope you have an amazing weekend. And thank you so much again for being on the show today. Thank you, Amira. This was such a treat to be here and to actually bring some of these conversations that we've had on Instagram and just, you know, just you and I together, bringing them to life and really showcasing why we need to, why we need to talk more about this topic. And I feel like, gosh, here I am. I'm just going to keep ranting for a minute here, <laughs> but I, I feel like there's so much that we just touched on in this episode. There's so much more that needs to be said. And I'm just, I'm happy that you are here and you have your podcast and you are starting to bridge the gap of occupational therapy and money. And I'm so excited to just see where this goes. So thank you so much for this opportunity. It really has been such an honor to be here. And yeah, I'm just smiling. Thank you. You're welcome and thank you back. <laughs> hey friend, before you go, there's a few things I want to remind you about. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you heard, please take a few moments to leave a review. They seriously make my heart happy. Lastly, don't forget to check the show notes for additional resources, links, and maybe even some freebies. All right, that's all I've got. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I'll catch you in the next one. And as always, don't forget to make it a marvelous day.